Welcome to 20th Century Geek. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. Now, it's confession time. Now, it's quite obvious that, you know, I'm a pop culture nerd. If I, had, if I wasn't, I wouldn't have a podcast called 20th Century Geek. But in addition to that, I'm a bit of a history nerd. Now, I will be honest, this isn't an academic pursuit. It is influenced also by the pop culture. Two fictional characters really influence me and my enjoyment of history. Uh, I'll be honest, they probably give a false... <laughs> picture of history uh, and I've learnt that since but it's these two people that led me to or these two people these two characters that led me on to um, do history as a GCSE as an A-level and then later as a university degree uh, and has always kept my foot in that sort of camp now the first one uh, has probably influenced so many people uh, and also gives a real false impression of their area of expertise uh first of all, archaeology is not whip slinging and gun shooting and uh despite the fact i love indiana jones uh and will be covering him on a future episode no doubt uh i didn't quite get the gist of archaeology didn't quite you know um feel it was for me i think you know once I realised that Time Team was closer than sort of uh, Temple of Doom, it, it sort of fell out of favour with me. But I'd already got that, that itch for uh, history. The other one, though, uh, we, we will be talking about today is another character that I came across later, much later in life, when I was in my se- secondary school. Uh, in about 1994, I came across a book called Sharp's Rifles. And I was introduced to the... Daring, swashbuckling hero of the Napoleonic Wars, Richard Sharp, uh, and all of his fellow rifles. Um, from the book, which I found in the school library, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed, I found the TV series uh, starring Sean Bean and uh, many others in a fantastic cast. And from there, a real sort of uh, affection for these this group of characters grew. I've read all the books, uh, I've got all the books, I love the TV series. Uh, and it did, it fostered a real sort of fascination for the truth of history compared to, sorry, the fiction. Now that, that comparison is really what led to 20th Century Geek coming about. It's always been that thing of, I love uh, pop culture, I love nostalgia sort of areas. But I also quite like this idea that the, the reality, reality and history influences pop culture and vice versa. Pop culture influences reality. So what are we going to do today? So I'm not, it's not going to be me just rambling. I am doing that right now, but we'll move move on because I got the absolute honour of talking with Richard Sharp creator uh, Bernard Cornwell recently uh, for a very short interview. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful gentleman, Um, and we'll we'll go on to that in a moment, find out more. Uh, And in in addition to that, I thought, it's not enough, it's not enough, you know, Bernard Cornwell is, is an amazing get and I'm really pleased I got to speak to him. But that's just the books. That was one of the books. I wanted to know more about the TV show. So I reached out and um, uh, the actor, Jason Salkey, who played Rifleman Harris on the TV series, 
um, responded and I interviewed him and spoke to him uh, again recently and he gave some fantastic insight into uh, the behind the scenes um, of the shows, how it was made, some of the experiences, some anecdotes. Uh, all of this actually boils down to the fact he's actually writing a book at the moment all about uh, those experiences and that time while well, they're filming the Crimea um, and you know, when they were make, making Sharp. So we'll get more into that later on. He, he gives a, a really good pop for that book. Um, but I think we need to start at the beginning. So 1981, probably even earlier than that. Uh, and let's go and talk to the creator and author of all of the Sharp novels. I'll pass you over to me and Bernard Cornwell. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate you taking the time to talk, um, and uh, I appreciate it's early in the morning there, so I'll uh, I'll jump right in if that's okay. Fine, fine, fine. Um, so uh, as I said, thanks for taking the time. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the Sharp novels. I came across them when I was a, a, an early teenager in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, in my, uh, I found it in my school library. Um, so it was it was a great introduction to sort of uh, a step up in reading for me. It was actually you and Stephen King that sort of introduced me to, to adult books. But um, the first Sharp novel was published in 1981, uh, which was actually, I didn't realise it was Sharp's Eagle. But what led you to create Richard Sharp and the, uh, the Rifles? Oh, merely circumstances. I mean, years ago I had a proper job. Um, I was a television producer. And then... One day I met this American woman and fell in love as one does and she couldn't live in Britain for perfectly good cogent reasons and I had no ties in England. So I came here and I couldn't get a work permit. Mm. So I said, don't worry, darling, I'll write a book. Yeah. Simple solutions. And I mean, I was a great fan of the Hornblower series. And mm. I think at that time, I, I mean, God, it's a long time ago. But Douglas Riemann was writing. Um, it was a Belito series. Uh, I don't think O'Brien had started then. But it just occurred to me there were, I think, three people. I mean, not, well, Forrester didn't count. He, he died by then. Um, but there were people making a perfectly good living writing about the Royal Navy in this fight against Napoleon, and I thought there must be some stories in the army, you know, Wellington's campaigns. And so, I mean, you know, it was, it was a totally venal decision. I needed to make enough money to stay in America. Um, and I thought that was a gap on the bookshelf. You know, there are plenty of stories about Hornblower and Belito. Um, so it was time the army had a crack. So that was it. So that's what. So, so that was, it was just simply sort of uh, circumstance and in, in your admiration for the history. So why the Napoleonic? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I think I'd always wanted to, to write. Mm. But then you know, lots of people want to write. You know, scratch a school teacher, um, and and you find a, somebody who wants to write a novel. Um, <laughs> so it had been in my mind, but I think if I hadn't met Judy, I would never have done it. And you know, it worked out. We're still married forty years later. 
Which is excellent. So that's so it, was, it was fortuitous circumstances all around then, really. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely. I mean, it was totally circumstances. I mean, um, well, I don't deny that it was something I'd thought about before, but I'd never done anything. I never thought I would write a book. And... So, I think if I hadn't met Judy, I probably never would. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? You know, yeah. fate is inexorable. So I mean, the uh, you know R- Richard Sharp and the Rifles are mostly fictitious characters, sort of taking part in uh, historical uh, events. In what? So you, the, Richard Sharp and the Rifles are uh, very much um, fictitious characters taking part in historical events. So yeah, you, right. you you were. Uh, you know that was obviously important. So you added in the historical note at the end of the books, um, which was which I found incredibly useful. But you know, did you was that always the intention was to sort of give them uh, some historical context and? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I I suppose we always write what we want to read, and I'd always thought there was that gap on the shelf, and I suppose this, you know, that the. the I can't remember, but I think probably when I was very young, some historical novel or other got me interested in history. And I think that historical novels are a sort of gateway to history. You know, it's a, it's a nice, easy way in to, to the subject. Um, and really, the historical note is a place to confess my sins. <laughs> you know, to confess what I've changed and what really didn't happen and what, you know, did happen. And also a chance to say to people, look, if you want to know more, here's some suggestions. Which I have to say was exactly what it did for me. I, uh, that, that's exactly how I saw it. it. It led to me doing further research on the topic and on the subject. And, uh, um, you know, especially during your G- my GCSEs and stuff, it, it, they actually helped me out and directed me to some quite interesting places. <laughs> I'm terribly pleased. Uh, yeah. I did get a letter once from somebody who said that he passed his exams at Sandhurst because of one of the sharp books. <laughs> um, well, they are incredibly insightful, and like I say, so yeah, they were in, they were popular, and um, they were made into a television series uh, for ITV. How did that come about? Because that didn't it took that was nineteen ninety three that that oh, came yeah, out. How those things come about? I mean, television and film producers work in very strange ways, <laughs> and. I mean, obviously somebody um, must have liked the books and thought it a good idea and amazingly managed to get financing for it. But I mean, I stay well away from all of that. So and, you know, I worked in television for 11 years and the one thing I do know is that I know absolutely nothing about producing television drama. <laughs> uh, uh, so I don't get involved. Well, I, 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 you know, it's awfully nice when it happens. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, was, um, I heard I heard a rumor. A rumor. I was. It was suggested that Sharp's Rifles, which obviously becomes a uh, is a prequel to Sharp's Eagle, the first novel, um, was written um, and elements were added uh, as part of that sort of in, interest. The, uh, yes, it was. That's quite true. Okay. I can't remember the sequence of events now, but. Mira Sutherland, who was the wonderful producer, wanted a Portuguese character. I'm, I'm guessing, and it is a guess, that, that it was because he wanted some Portuguese money for this mm. production. I don't know. It was shot in Portugal. I mean, the thing was, that one was filmed in Portugal. So I wrote, yes, I wrote Sharp's Rifles. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, if a television producer says, 
I want a story. Only an idiot doesn't do it. Yes, yes, very true. So when when I, mean, I was, you know, I, I I got on well with them. Mm. I mean, I used to visit the set, and you know, I mean, they were they were good good people, and it was I liked what they did. I was going to say, well, I actually recently I mean, spoke. Did, did I want to be an advisor? And I said, no, I don't. I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, which is it? Yeah, that's a fun way. Enjoy it from the sidelines. Uh, I recently spoke yeah, to uh, uh, I recently spoke to Jason Salkey, who uh, played Rifleman Harris, and he. Um, right, it was a good guy. Yeah, married a very very pretty Ukrainian girl. Yes, in a, he he gave me some interesting anecdotes of uh, from on set, um, and uh, yeah, hinted at things around the the casting of Sean Bean because um, originally it was Paul McGann. Um, so did you you know obviously you had little so I'd say, to no input but what were your feelings when you heard of the casting of both Paul McGann and uh, Sean Bean having lived with the character I, for so I mean, long I honestly had no feelings I mean in the uh. sense that I knew, knew neither I, mm. you know, I didn't know their work <laughs> um, and I've, ne- I've never seen any of the rushes that they shot with Paul so I, mm. you know, I have no idea whether he would have been as good as Sean or better or, or whatever um I mean, the first I ever really became aware of of Sean was when um, the first series was finished and they, there was a showing in London. I mean, I think it's true to say that Sean is the perfect sharp. Yes, yeah, I, I think Sean I mean, being I think, fantastic. I think he's absolutely wonderful. But you know, I don't want to say that. I mean, really, I don't want to say that Paul McGann would have been worse because I just don't know. No, no, um, no. I, mean, I suppose. I, mean, I, I really do try and keep keep a distance from all that stuff mm. um, and I don't want them to ask my opinion no. you know as who should play anybody because they're better at that than I am that makes sense yes yeah 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 so I mean the question I, I, I thought it was terribly bad luck on Paul but it was I mean the, the story yeah the te- I mean you know injured his knee and it was it was really unfortunate I think from uh, the way it played out I mean fortuitous for Sean uh, Bean um, you know it, it was very fortuitous because I mean he really did Beautifully, yeah. Did and he took over a very, very, very short notice, and uh, there's a sort of there's a photograph of Sean standing in front of a row of riflemen, or I can't remember redcoats, and you know I'm sure it's been pinned up on lots of adolescent girls' walls <laughs> because. Um, green jacket is open, revealing some manly chest. And, you know, everyone thinks that picture was actually posed <laughs> to be a sort of, you know, sex symbol. And actually it wasn't. What happened was he took over. And the only costume available was Paul McGann's. Mm. And Paul is, a, you know, a little bit um, skinnier than Sean. And he couldn't button up the jacket. It's as yeah. simple as that. It sounds like there's all these uh, coincidences always seem to lead to sort of uh, fortuitous events, really, you know, iconic sort of images and stuff. But to flip it then, really, the other way, when when you saw um, Sean Bean in the role and you saw him and the rifles, did that um, not impact so much, but did it influence the way you portrayed uh, Sharp or the rifle and later on? It did, yeah. I mean, I... From that point on, I always heard Sean's voice when Sharp spoke, mm. um, which is good and fine. 
It's you about the essence, it. isn't it? If you, you get the essence of a character. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Sean was absolutely, you know, he, he literally was the perfect charm. And I'm sure Paul McGann would have been brilliant. Absolutely. I mean, he's a wonderful actor. Mm. But, uh, you know, we'll never know, will we? Well, he went on, I say, Paul McGann went on and he did appear in the Hornblower series. Oh, he, he had a bit slower. Uh, so yeah, so Paul did go on and then appear in Hornblower. So he got his time in the sun to be, uh, in the, you know, during the Napoleonic Wars. But, uh, oh, that's right, yes, they did. Um, so, you know, reflecting back on the books um, and the way they changed, um, you know, do you ever have, it's, it's a daft question, but do you ever have a favourite? Is there a book that you sort of think, you know, that's the one where I really cracked it, that's the one, the one I sort of hold up and... As well, a fa- yeah, I think we all have favourites. I mean, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I've forgotten most of them. Ooh. I mean, I wrote them so long ago and I've written True. so many books. Uh... I, I have a great fondness for Sharp's Trafalgar mm. and for Sharp's Company and Sharp's Siege. But, I mean, you know, this is totally capricious. And uh, I, am, I am intending to write one more. Brilliant. So, yeah, so I'll have to make room on my shelf then. My, sort of, my retirement project, <laughs> although I actually think I retired 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, no, that's fantastic um, news. I'm actually rereading some of them to remind myself who is who. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, so yeah, so I'll say I'm going to say um, thank you very much for writing the books. They were a great introduction to me. I've got them all uh, sat on a shelf, um, and uh, really I'll, I'll wrap it up there. So you know it's early in the morning for you. So it's a quick interview, but I appreciate you giving your time. No, thank you very much. Uh, you, have you got my email? Uh, I have your assistant, Cece, so yes, I'll, I'll, uh, I can contact well, her. Well, let me give you mine, because if you've got any follow-up, you can always write. I will do, yeah. It's my name, all one word, it's not case-sensitive, Bernard Cornwall. No gaps, no dots, no underlinings, nothing, yeah. right? One word. At Comcast, which is C-O-M-C-A-S-T, Comcast.net. .net. Excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Good luck. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. okay, welcome back. Now, wasn't that cracking? I was so, so pleased. I mean, that turnaround on that interview was so quick. I was so, so pleased that he responded and uh, gave his time... Uh, to speak to us, a 20th Century Geek. So that's Bernard Cormor, and I'm taking it as an exclusive. I've searched it, there's a bit of news about it, but there you have it. 20th Century Geek can proudly pronounce that Bernard Cormor is working, actively working on a uh, new, possibly last, um, Richard Sharp novel. So Sharp's uh, dotage, I don't know, Sharp's uh, political career, we don't know. So... That's the, that's the books. Now I want to move on to the TV show. So I'm going to jump straight across uh, and hand you over to myself 
and uh, Jason Salke to talk about the Sharp TV series. So, uh, so yeah, Jason. So, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you giving up the time. Um, this is great. So, first things first, I am a, I'm a big fan of Sharp, the TV show, and cool. of, and, and of the books. Um, yeah, books uh, are brilliant. I, I actually found the books first, and then like it was just literally within months, I found the book, and then the show started. So it was it was quite wow. fortuitous. But how how did you get involved uh, with the show? Right. Well, uh, it was just another audition, mm. basically. Uh, in May of 1992, I went into Soho and met the, the director who was called Jim Goddard. Mm. Jim Goddard had directed Shanghai Surprise, Riley, Riley Ace of Spies, mm. done some heavyweight stuff, but Shanghai Surprise had kind of killed his career. Anyway, so there's Jim. I didn't know he'd done that. And there's Jim Goddard. And we didn't talk about anything to do with Sharp or Cornwall or Napoleonics or anything. We just sort of chatted about general stuff, and my my dad's my Jamaican dad. He's a writer. Mm. I came to Britain uh, um, to, 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 to to pursue a career in poetry and novelism, and um, he just wanted to talk about my dad <laughs> and talk about writing. And I'm like, what the, what's, what's this going on? Like, anyway, I realised when I got the job that Harris was the clever one who was into writing. Mm. So it's very strange the the way the interview happened, and it was and. And not, you know, you, you, you never get told straight away about a job, but I waited for like six weeks, like almost two months. It was like July, middle of July when I got the word, you got the job on Sharp, you're going to Russia for 22 weeks. Good luck to you. So, yes. Yeah, so, so that's how, so that's how it's just another audition. Um, I, had, I had not long before that, I had auditioned for a, a massive American TV movie thing called Covington Cross. Right. That was going to be an American mini... They thought it was going to be huge. Mm. It was going to be an American mini-series drama set in medieval England. Wow, that's ambitious. You can imagine how terrible that sounds. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> and I was like really geared up to try and get this job. I kind of messed up the audition because I, I messed up the... Um, I didn't memorize the script. Mm. And I was really gutted that I didn't get that. And I, I was thinking all the time about trying to get that job, this job in America that's probably going to pay tons of money. And I'm yeah. And so when the phone rang, I was thinking, because I know that I knew the tone of voice of my agent when it was like something good, something bad. Something mm. like, Hello, darling. <laughs> so I thought, oh, yes. And it was like, um, yes, you got that job in Russia. And I was like, what? which one was that? <laughs> and so that's how I got the job on Sharp. Just another audition, completely forgotten all about it. One day got the call, which basically changed my life. So that, and that's it. So the, the first, it was three episodes. Was it two or three episodes? The first that was uh... right. So it, we were due to shoot three episodes. Mm. Right. Um, the obviously this is all in the book, which we'll get to. But yeah. what happened was Paul McGann was cast as Sharp. Yes. Well, did the, I, I read somewhere that um, not only was he cast, but he went out there and they they fitted him up with the with the no, outfit. They, and... No. No. Well, let me finish the sentence. Mm. Yeah. So Paul McGann was cast as Sharp. We all. Practice did the read-throughs with him. Went out to the Crimea. Uh, we we shot for a week. We shot for well, we shot for the first week with the three three or four days. And on the Sunday of that week, we went to the beach. And yeah. at the beach, 
uh, we played football and Paul went to gather a ball from out of the air. It wasn't tackled, wasn't no one there. Went out to gather a ball there and with his left knee went. His crucial snapped. Uh-huh. Not a tackle, no nothing. And uh, since we, 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 we were filming in the newly broken up Soviet Union, mm. filming in the Crimea, and they didn't have an English doctor, no English stuntman, no English anything. Anyway, we were off duty that day anyway. So when he got back to the hotel, they basically wrapped up his leg in his knee and said, you know, try and stand and try and get better. There was no MRI back then. There was probably no oh, gosh. The local. Yeah, so, so it did get a little bit, bit better, but he couldn't do action scenes, couldn't do running, couldn't do mm. fighting, and he had to uh, use a Russian stuntman who looked just like him. He was really good, but it was, mm. it was pretty awkward, laborious. And the director, Jim Goddard, who I uh, auditioned for, he was really pissed off that his, his star actor was impaired mm. gone and that was like that ruined his whole so he got very grumpy and was like pushing him all the time until his knee got injured again mm. and then again so in six weeks he, he did it he busted it he, he, he snapped the cruise ship and then two more times oh, he, he must have been in agony oh, it, it was t- it was awful I mean, I don't know how much agony. Obviously, the first job must have been agony because mm. that should require surgery almost straight away, and he waited for six weeks. So after after this second relapse, he said, "Look, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to an English doctor, get it sorted out. Hopefully, we can resume the production in two weeks, a month, mm. or whatever." And uh, he left us all out there. And then the producers the next day called force majeure on the production. Mm. Which Un- unusual circumstances have killed this. We don't have to honor contracts. We don't, da, 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 da. So we thought, well, that's it. It's over. Dream job gone. Yeah. And, uh, we all trudged back to, to London despondently. And four or five days later, my agent called again and said, Oh, Sean Bean is now sharp. You're going back to Russia in three days. <laughs> so, oh, oh, I've seen Sean. I've seen Sean in Stormy Monday. They didn't know much mm. about him. Stormy Monday, I'd seen him in uh, Patriot Games. Mm. I was going to say, that's what, yes. Yeah, so I thought, oh, that could work, that could work. Because, you know, Paul McGann was actually a friend of mine. I'd met him before. Uh, not, not hadn't worked with him, but I'd uh, hung out with him in Liverpool and, mm. and got football matches and partied a bit with him. So I was really gutted that Paul had left. Uh, and so I kind of was in the, the McGann camp at first. And I, But when Sean got there, it was uh, pretty much uh, showed us. Uh, yeah. Showed us that he was the man. <laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated to know that. So you, you, you know, there was six weeks after he injured his, his leg. You say he did about that much filming, and then there's obviously filming before that. So there must be sat somewhere in a, in a vault somewhere. There's a there's footage of um, of Paul McGann in in right. full so, outfit. Fast forward four years, Ugh. and I'm about to do this fifth series. Where yeah. I'm killed at Waterloo, and I get a phone call, and it's Paul McGann. I said, Paul, wow, fantastic. He said, I'm okay. Uh, could you go along and speak to my lawyer? He's in his uh, chambers uh, in, uh, in you know, uh, wherever it is, Chantry Lane. I said, okay, all right, okay, fine, fine, fine. Well, what we can do? I'm, I'm suing, you know, suing Malcolm and Muir, those are the tech producers, because my knee, the, 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 oh, mm. yes, absolutely, fair enough. So I went along and, and uh, uh, sat with the guy in his office and I was looking at stuff and he showed me rushes i saw rushes of paul mcgann and sharp so yeah they do exist but they're they're not processed all the way to finish scenes yeah they're grainy and whatever um i have lots i've got a few uh, photographs and stuff and they're going to be in my book i've got first polaroids i've got photographs on set 
Wow. Um, and one of the chosen men does have a little bit of video, but he's reluctant to. Yeah. Um. So where were we? Yeah. So uh. So I'm 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 talking with a lawyer, discussing all stuff, and at the very end, as I'm about to leave, he says, oh, "Would you mind just signing this?" And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess he's just signing something to, to, to you know, verify I said that or something." Mm. Yeah. Didn't know what the fuck I was signing. <laughs> and uh, about three days later, I got a, a serious-looking letter through the post, a summons saying I'm I'm called as a witness in the Bormagan case versus oh my God. So Sharp. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. Because I'm about to go and do another series. Yeah. Negotiate my my final my final years mm. uh, uh, contract. And that year I was killed, and I was left out of two episodes. Mm. So. You know whether they were going to do that anyway, or or you know whether that's the McGann thing helped. So yeah, so that was that's what happened. So Paul McGann, and then so they were supposed to do three episodes that year because of the Paul McGann incident and the calling of force majeure. They dropped one episode. That was going to be Sharp's Gold. Right, which then got picked they, up in the second. Which they no in the third year. Third year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Completely yes. different script and a completely different cast. Right. Because I gotta say, yeah, because I, I um. It's one of those shows that um, you know I've, I've got all on DVD now, the remastered version. They look great, um, and it, you watch it, and it, 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 I'm not knowing any of this, but the cast, like even the first episode, you can tell when a cast get on. You know what I mean? You can watch a show and you go, "Oh, that worked." They click, and it looks like I say that you know it looks like everyone clicks and gets on. But you had all that time before, I suppose, to get to know each other and, and learn about each other stuff like that, which must have really helped then um, when you were doing that. You actually got to film in the reshoots and stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, we did, even before we shot, The Chosen Men and Harper had like a whole two week uh, base, uh, base camp, um, uh, boot camp mm. thing. Uh, where we we sat in the classroom, we learned everything about the ninety fifth. Paul McGann wasn't with us unfortunately because he had another job elsewhere for BBC and he was shooting that. But so we we bonded quite well. The chosen men, you know, we were good at the bands and then yeah, give a laugh. Um, so yes, we had bonded and definitely the six weeks. But the thing that really bonded us was the adversity that we faced out in the Crimea. Uh, the food was terrible. We had the Paul McGann thing straight away. Um, we uh, we uh, people got a tummy bug, mm. a tummy bug from the water bowser that the Ukrainian army provided for us on set because they built our locations for us. So we were undergoing all this crap um, in the first six weeks under McGann. So when Sean arrived, we wanted to make sure that he was cool and fine, and we were going to protect him from all the bad stuff. Mm. Around. So that that really brought us together. So yes, but the fact that we were facing this almost combat-like conditions and adversity that really did definitely cause our unit to be really strong you know we were we were very happy to be doing this job too and mm. I, I'm not a soldier but yeah we definitely had a great bond and it showed on on screen you're absolutely right well you, you say about being like you know like combat and the one thing i think um I, I was watch, watching them through recently, and a lot of it seems quite nice. It seems quite, you know, it, it's bright. It looks warm. It looks fine. I'm, I don't know what the weather's like. But there was an episode, I think it's Sharp's Honour, um, and it, it's winter there, and there's a scene, and it's, you know, when you find out that um, that Sharp is, isn't dead and he comes back. Spoilers. And uh, you're all stood in, there's an episode, it's you and Perkins stood next to each other um, in the snow. 
and you look cold to the bone. And I'm like, I'm, I think all I can see is you're in costume. I was thinking, that must be freezing. It was. I mean, we did cheat. We did have these lovely silk long underwear things on, but it, right. it, still, it still was freezing. But in that in that Sharp's honour, mm. um, I think it's when Sean's been caught to be just before he's hung. Mm. Something, and he has to take his shirt off. And that, it, it was freezing, freezing. And there's a scene when Lass, Lass is freezing in the cold. In December. But yeah, that was shot in November uh, in the Crimea up in a place called Baidar Valley, which was high, high up on a, on a, a mountain, basically. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was freezing. So we started shooting, we would shoot uh, generally from August into December. And that Sharps Honor was shot when it was snowing. It was the first time it had snowed. No, it snowed on Sharps rifles as well, because we were filming that up a mountain as well. Yeah, and I think, because I said, there's a few episodes you can sort of see where it's raining and stuff. And, and yeah, it's, yeah. So the weather must have been quite adverse at times. I mean, how, how often, what were the times of year that you were filming then? Yeah, so as, as I was saying, we, we'd, we would generally leave in August mm. and um, we, we shot it all on the Crimea, the Crimean Riviera, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Yalta, which, right. which is on the Black Sea. So we would fly in and the tourist season there sort of ends in September. So we'd fly in mid-August and we'd fly into the capital of the Crimea, which is a shithole. Right. Do at all. But there are some good comp- uh, locations you can get to from there. And we spend about two, three weeks there, then go down to Yalta. So mm. that was always warm, hot, love loving. So Simferopol, the capital, was stifling and horrible and sunny. But once we got to Yalta, we were by the sea. Mm. So we had a breeze and it was beautiful weather, temperate all the way into September, October, November. Mm. But we go and shoot stuff up the mountain, up on other locations. So where we stayed all year round it was pretty temperate and nice there was some rainy bits but otherwise it was lovely but the cold bits were where we had to climb to an elevation to shoot at the various locations so you know because obviously you're shooting in the Crimea um, the two things I'm, I'm curious about then really is is we'll cover one thing let's like say the Crimea it's, it's a former Soviet block area yeah. uh, and it's also one that I would say was relatively poverty stricken so what, what what was it like? I mean, you know, what were the locals like then, sort of having this filming crew sort of sat in the middle of it all? Yeah, it, they were they were absolutely grateful. I mean, because it was so sunny, mm. that area was known as the Soviet Riviera, the Soviet Hollywood. Right. That's the reason we were going to that area. Um, where we stayed down in Yalta, it was a seaside town. There were hotels. It wasn't, mm. wasn't you know, but yes compared to how we live not that we in England are so rich no. back in 92 yeah there was pretty shabby um, you know stuff broken down stuff made to amend mm. um, uh, the water we had water cuts shut off power shut off mm. uh, although we did find out that was more to someone not paying the, the backhander oh so okay got, yeah yeah um, the, the food distribution was bad you know that's mm. a, the chicken was scrawny so it was all those kind of things were, were bad as I said the standards of hygiene as well we were really afraid to eat anywhere or drink anything you know we learned you know, not, not beer you know beer and champagne and vodka they yeah. were, <laughs> without a problem but you know drinking water or drinking tea or, but yeah when we would go out to the countryside then it was it's dark you know yeah shacks and people that look you know they could have been out of the 30s you know mm. like I said peasanty um, but yeah, it, it was quite a, um, a culture shock, uh, absolutely. 
also in Turkey for two years, but the Crimea is where we shot the first three years. Yeah, because Bob's in, in Portugal. I was going to say because the other thing I'm curious about is in so because um, the sets are, are brilliant. I mean, you know, there's there's, there's you go into. Um, as they're supposed to be, sort of like, you know, Portuguese and Spanish villages and all this other thing. So were those sets, were they real places or were they built or...? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sharps Rifles, Sharps Eagle, Sharps Company, Sharps... So, yeah, on the first year we did three weeks shooting in um, in Portugal. Mm. So in Sharps Rifles, um, when we're going up to a monastery, this is long old corridor with cloisters on the side a beautiful monastery up there yes. that's Portugal that's real oh, okay I was going to yeah. say that's real um, uh, any of those Portuguese look I'm trying to think what other locations there were a couple of barns but you wouldn't know any difference between a set and a barn but those are all in, in Portugal so anything in the USSR the former mm. USSR those were normally sets yeah right as I said this was the Soviet Riviera uh, the Soviet Hollywood so there was a film studio with a back lot <clears throat> in Yalta where we lived so they they already had built like you know cowboy and peasant shacks, which were very easy to turn into a yeah. peasant village. Uh, and of course, it was dry and dusty, which was mm. perfect. So yeah, everything in the Crimea, just about everything, was a set that you saw. Um, I'm trying to think of some exteriors that we used. There may there may have been a yeah, we used um, Levadia Palace, which is where. The Yalta Conference was held, which is where Churchill, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin carved up Europe. Oh wow! Yeah, so and that's a beautiful uh, palace built by the Romanovs. Mm. Part of that was used as Wellington's headquarters in Lisbon. So otherwise, everything was a built set that you see in 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 Crimea. That's really impressive. I mean, that's sort of like you say the qualities. It, it was it's you know one of the things that attracted me to the show. Um, is that qu- that production quality? The cost. I mean, the costumes as well are outstanding. I mean, you know, there's uh, yeah. you know, I mean, there's... a chap called Andrew Moller was our set uh, builder, set mm. designer. And if you remember the end of Sharp's Rifles, we have to take that village and raise the flag. Yes. And we're fighting the French. We're fighting the town. And like the choir boys walk through the middle of the battle, and it goes harsh. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 The whole town was just built from nothing on the side of a mountain. It's incredible. A little fountain in there, the church, a cloister. You know, it's just unbelievable. Unfortunately, I went back there in 2006 and they, they, the whole set had been cannibalized for the oh. war. Uh, and lots of bits of plastic tiling that were the terracotta tiles are all spoon round. So that was a bit of a bummer. That's true. But you say, but yeah. that, that level of quality, is, 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 it's, you know, it shows on the screen. Like the, the, this was made with passion and with, with real skill. Absolutely, and it, it helps your job as an actor as well because mm. you really feel like you're walking into a, a village, a Spanish village in 1809. It doesn't take any uh, imagination; it's just, you're there, which is which is really helpful as an actor. And I suppose that helps. I say, say when you look down and you're carrying, you know, you're carrying a, a, an authentic-looking rifle. You've got your green jacket and everything on. So um, I have to admit, the one thing is they look great. They never look comfortable though. Um, well, um, I will say our costumes are very comfortable because they were, they, uh, the, the premise of the opening of the show is that we, um, what happened in the Peninsula War is Sir Henry Moore mm-hmm. took an expeditionary force to try and uh, fight the French at the top of Spain in Corona. Yeah. He got a little way in, then he got, he got fought back and they had to retreat all the way to British ships waiting. And... Sharp's men, before Sharp met him, Harper, Cooper, da-da-da, we're all on that retreat. 
Mm. So our, our uniforms are all knackered. Yeah. Um, they're torn. Our hair is long. La la la. So they pre-distressed our cozies. So really, they were just rags. Mm. So there was nothing. It was very very comfortable. They were the jacket was wool. Yeah. yeah. It was a bit hot in in, in the uh, in the summer, but the trousers were like cotton. And uh, the, the most uncomfortable thing was when you had to wear full kit: the badges, the buckles, the the pack. The yes. Shampoo, the water bottle, all that. When you had to do that, that was when it got uncomfortable. But, you know, if it was cold, then it wasn't because you, you were... Nice and warm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've, the red coats, yeah, they were, they were uncomfortable, probably. I was going to say, sort of say some of the extras in the full, uh, the red coat regalia with the stocks on and the lot must have been, it looks... But it all looks, it all works. It's, it's amazing. It, it, it was amazing, yeah. And a lot of those costumes, uh, especially the extras, were uh, from Moss Film. Mm. Uh, as we were shooting in obviously former Soviet Union we had a lot of Russian and Ukrainian co-workers uh, and the head costume lady had worked at Moss Film and she took she was able to get all these cosies that were used on the original Waterloo Sergei Bondarchuk's 1969 Waterloo with Rod Steiger oh my god wow that's amazing totally cool huh? so all those French uniforms a lot of the, uh, the British for the, for the extras obviously because mm. because the, the tough sharps us, they were all made in London yeah yeah Wow, that's really impressive. I mean, that's that's a real bit of legacy, like historic Hollywood history. Um, I mean, the other thing I say, it's funny watching it again. Like I say, because Paul, Mc, I believe Paul, Mc, no, does he appear in it later on, or one of them again? But uh, Paul McGann is in Hornblower. That's right. Yes, yeah, right. That's it. I do, I do like yeah. Hornblower as well. But, no, he didn't return to Sharp. That no. was something. Yeah, <laughs> but the, something I must say. But the show definitely attracted some cast. I mean, uh, watching it, you see a very young Daniel Craig. You've got Liz Hurley. You've got all these people that just keep popping up. And it's a bit, it's a definite, oh, that's a so-and-so kind of moment. Yeah, I mean, and so many got the, the big start. You know, as you said, uh, Daniel Craig was unknown, basically. You mm. know, um, uh, Liz Hurley had, you know, she, she actually wore the dress about a month before her episode of Sharp. Mm. So it's a perfect confluence, I think. Um, Emily Mortimer. Yep. Mark Strong. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, yeah. Those guys were unknown. Yeah, yeah. Plus, we had fantastic actors like Brian Cox. Oh, yes. Pete Pothelswaite. Michael Byrne, who played Nairn. Yes. Yeah, David Troughton. So many great actors, I'm sure. I mean, the trouble is what happened is that they were chintzing on the acting budget towards the end. You know, the TV were giving less money, so... They got less and less good actors. In fact, John Hurt had expressed an interest in being in it, but the money was too much. He oh. was going to be in Waterloo or Justice, one of the ones in the mm. final. You know, imagine if John Hurt had been in it. That'd been brilliant. Worth the money, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's it. Talk, talk about Waterloo. I mean, well, before we get to that, there's one thing I'm curious about then. So, for all this, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of the books. Um, and you've just said there about there's a backstory to The Chosen Men. And I think it's a real shame that that's not been explored in the books because obviously the books follow sharp. But, yeah. But did Bernard Cornwell ever visit the set? Did he ever? Oh yeah, yeah. He would. He would come out almost uh, twice a year. He'd come out. Certainly, if we were switching countries, he'd come to Crimea and to Portugal. Or, but yeah, he would definitely, definitely come out and he'd take us out to dinner, have a drink with him. He was a great laugh. It's really a great guy. It's, you know, so it was great hanging with him. It must be amazing for him to see his creations come to life. Oh man, he was. Unfortunately, he didn't write Harris. Harris is from the recollections of Rifleman Harris, mm. um, 
who was a real rifleman, didn't didn't go to Waterloo, didn't die at Waterloo, couldn't read or write, but he recalled his stories and someone else wrote them down. But yeah, Bernard loved it. There was one night, and this is in my book, yeah. one night we were in Portugal in the first year and we were in a bar, Fardo bar, and uh, we were, it was towards the end of the shoot and we were very happy, we were drinking away, eating, listening to music, drinking, 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 and we came to the end of the night and we asked for our bill and they were taking a long, long time to do it and uh, when it came we thought it had been severely cooked. Yeah, mm. We asked hundreds of these escudos, you know, lots of money, and we were like, uh, no, this is not right. And we had Portuguese speakers, and we tried to hammer it out, and they said, no, mm. no, 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 no. So Sean's in there, we're in there, we're all we're all tanked up, and uh, all of a sudden we see someone going to lock the, the entrance door. We're like, we're not having that. <laughs> but me and Sean, we, I'm, I'm leaning, I'm running up the stairs, and yeah. yanked the, the person away, yanked open the door, and there's a guy out in the, in the alley with a knife. Oh my god. And uh, before I even blink or think I'm, I've been pushed out of the way by Sean and uh. Sean's going to attack this geezer who ran headlong up the road <laughs> and so Bernard Cornwall's at this dinner and mm. he's sort of walking up just behind us and witnessed all of this and he was thinking oh my god this is my creation come to life <laughs> so it was just like that it was like the chosen men going to sort something out and Bernard was grinning ear to ear so yes and he was especially happy with the change from Paul McGann to, to Sean yes yeah so, Bernard was great and he was orgasmic basically. Yeah. No, because Sean is Sean was a great choice and he's it's you know, um he's a great actor and I, I do love him in the role. Um but I say all the chosen men are great, you know, and having read the books, it, it, you know, the, the good thing about this is they never completely translate because it's one's a written medium, one's a was a visual medium. Um but they are, and they are perfect through their means. But the, the, you do get invested in these characters. Um, and over the years of watching it on TV and watching it on video and DVD since, um, you do get, you know, forever what we say about the Paul McGann thing, but yours and, and uh, John Tam's um, uh, send-off, really, emotional send-off in Waterloo is is brilliant, is magnificent. It's, you know, it really sort of, um, it, it affected me when I first saw yeah. it. So I mean, what did you think when you, you read that? And Right, so... We're talking about the last series. Yep. We're talking about the context of me only being in one episode. Mm-hmm. So I was upset beyond belief. Right. Okay. I'm in every single episode of Sharp, and all of a sudden I'm not into whether it's because of the Paul McGann signing with him, or whether they got sick of me, or whether they're trying to cut more money down on the budget mm. to add more horses and flashes and banks water to Whatever that was, I was miffed. But the dying bit was kind of cool because I thought, well, this is the last episode. We're not going to do me with more sharps. And in a way, that's a nice poignant moment. And in many ways, that was the most poignant moment of the whole show. Mm. The only thing is I felt they didn't make enough of it. No. The, the aftermath. Yeah. I know it's the Battle of Waterloo. They're winning. They're going to see Napoleon. Blah, 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 they take a shot. Blah, blah, blah. But, and he takes a shot as uh, Duke of Orange. But I just felt, you know, it was like, you know, Sean's uh, uh, sharp is upset, and Harper says they were soldiers. They knew what there was coming. You know, that oh, it's okay, and that was it. Many other characters in Sharp had grave, you know, graveyard scenes. Teresa, you know, Lennox. There's so many grave, graveside scenes. I thought, oh, come on, at least. I agree but, with that. I totally agree with that because you're right. Because you, you know, it's it's, it's you and, and John Tams and, and you know Hagwin. They're reaching across to grab hands as they're both sort of like you know they're both dying, and it's hugely emotional. But the episode the episode ends with Sharp at the front of a regiment, sort of like you know yeah. marching into battle for that one final thing, and it does feel a little. You're right. It does feel a little bit hollow in that sense of it's you know they want to end on the hero the hero shot, 
Um, but like you say, even up to Sharp, even even as early as Sharp's Eagle, you get the graveside. Um, yeah, um, Lennox. yeah, Lennox. You know, getting the, the eagle stabbed into the ground. So that would have been amazing, but it, it, it really affected me. So it was a great. Yeah. It was in. Uh, yeah, because I was invested in the Chosen Men by that point. Yeah, no, totally. I I, I totally understand. I mean, um, they they had you know they had gotten to the end, I suppose you know. So so that that's, mm. that was okay. But um, yeah, I remember being in the press screening of Waterloo, and I didn't bother going in to see it. I thought I don't, I don't want to see it. So I was sitting outside having a drink in a nice hotel wherever we were, mm. and I I saw I heard the music ending, and I sort of went towards the doorway mm. uh, for where everyone was coming out, and lots of people coming out in tears I said oh my god is it that bad <laughs> but so I found out that's why yeah so yeah. in a way in a way that's, that's it works out great but as I said I was I was a bit miffed I was kind of I wanted to finish up it been five years I wanted mm. to get into something newer pastures maybe yeah. great pastures which never came um, so yeah yeah that's how I felt about Waterloo definitely well just looking back though I mean Final question before we, before we get onto the book. Um, when you watch it back, though, what's there, there was a what, which for the films, if you were to see, you know, it, from a Harris perspective, and 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 from a Jason Sulky point of view, if you were to point to an episode for someone to watch, which one would you say stands out for you? Well, I'd have to. Well, if they want to see me, I would say what Sharp Sword, Sharp mm. Smith, the one where I break the code, or the one where I play the butler. Mm. Yeah. Sharp's Rifle, Sharp's Eagle, Sharp's Honor, Sharp's Enemy. I don't really like Company so much, even though some people say it's the best episode ever, um, because it's written by a guy called Charles Wood, who's mm. an Oscar-winning uh, screenwriter, but he refused to write Sharp in the sort of non-specific vernacular that we had developed with Rifles and Eagle. It wasn't, wasn't Regency 1819 speak. Yeah. It had a sort of in-between, you know, and sharpen mm. and and his men could speak together and, and not have to stand on you know and be awkward. Whereas Charles Wood didn't at all like that. He thought grunts, private, should not be able to speak at all. They wouldn't talk to their officers. That mm. that wouldn't have that chumminess. So Sharp's company is very we're very marginalised. So even though it's all of us together and we're all battling together, yeah. So I would say those early scenes, the ones I would direct people to. Yeah, I mean, Sharp Sharp's enemy for me. Stands out. It's it's my one of my favourites. Sharp's enemy because again, it's got everyone in it, and it's got the great Pete Pothway and um, you know the ending. Uh, that's Talavera, isn't it? They sort of. Uh... Uh, it's yes. Uh, uh, Sharp's enemy is actually Talavera is um, Sharp's eagle. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Badahoff is Badahoff. Enemy is uh, basically the, the, the beating the deserters who have overtaken this town. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's yes, that's right. It's yeah, it's it's um yeah, because you got the, the French sort of the, the sort of calls himself the Colonel, and you've got Pete Pothersweight, and it's a fantastic episode. I think I think that, again the cast and that are great. It's it really because it's one of my favourite books as well. So it's one of the I'm early sure books. Nicholas Rowe who played uh, the Rocket Man. Yes, that was uh, a lovely little part, and that, that whole, yeah, I love Sharp's enemies, and also the introduction of Fredrickson. Yes, I was gonna say yeah, because again yeah, the Rocket Men are great. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, young Sherlock Holmes as well. So, uh, uh, so yeah, so I, I do recommend anyone check out the series. It's a fantastic series. 
But let's talk about your book then. So let's talk about what you're trying to do. So yes, right. So uh, I told you that Harris is based mm. on this chap called Benjamin Harris, who was a son of a Dorset shepherd who went to the Peninsula War. Mm-hmm. Didn't go to Waterloo because he got ill at a battle called Walcheren, where right. a lot of uh, soldiers got this weird flu bug thing, and a lot of people died and got knackered for life. Wow. So he, yeah, so he was laid down with that. Anyway, after all that, he recalled his stories, and, and someone else wrote them down, a guy called Captain Curling. And it's uh, unique because it's not an officer, not a gentleman who's written it. It's an account, a real down and dirty foot soldier mm-hmm. account. So when I got the job on Sharp, that's one of the first books I got. I, before I got the novels, I read that. And I thought, wow, this is, this is gritting and amazing. Why don't I be the Harris of this TV show? Ah. Now, what's going on? Because I am shooting in the Soviet Union, and you never know, it might be crazy. Mm-hmm. And it was. Yeah. Uh, so I kept, a, I kept a diary, and in a couple of years, and I did a video diary. So I have a three years of video diary. It's a 10 episode um, diary. So I, 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 mean, I didn't, when I had all that material diaries, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I didn't know who to approach, whatever. So the first thing I did was a video diary, which I could punt out on my own, on my own website. Mm-hmm. And I sort of gave up on the idea of a book until last year I did a bit of a posh history history festival. Um, I, uh, yeah, in this meantime, I had developed a lecture about Sharp. It was like about a 45-minute lecture. It covered the whole of my time on Sharp. I, yeah. I did it at a few conventions in America. I've done it a couple of times over here. So I did this lecture at this um, this history festival, um, and a lot of like famous historians were there, Dan Snow, his dad, all these really famous ones. And there were a lot of literary agents. And the one agent said, look, I think you have a book in this, this lecture. I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get like a massive advance and then yeah. sit writing my lecture. <laughs> so in the end, it boiled down to this unbound of uh, crowdfunding, um, a way of publishing, which is mm. great because you know, it, it spurs me. I can see how much is being developed. I can keep on. So, so that's where. So it's going to be a, a story. My story of Sharp from before I got the job to basically present day, but concentrating on the five years of production, three of which were in the Crimea. Mm. So, and I feel that the Crimea was really influential in uh, causing the whole look of Sharp. That camaraderie, that bond you see on 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 screen was mm. starting. Crimea. So my book's called From Crimea with Love. It's also called that because I met my wife there. She, ah. was, yeah, she was an interpreter on the uh, foot of the various departments, and uh, we got together and got more and more together. And our son was conceived on Sharp, so he was the first <laughs> Sharp baby. Excellent. So, so and yeah, basically since I finished Sharp in 1996, I've been talking about it all the time, sending mm. autographs, and blah. And I do, I go to regularly to. Uh, History festivals where I sign autographs, sell my video diaries, and soon we'll be selling the book. So Brilliant. basically, that's what the book's about, and it's crowdfunding at the moment, and uh, it will probably be written in a year, hopefully. But it's it's great. It's it's uh, it's a nice catharsis, getting all this stuff out, and it's very entertaining. We went through so much shit; it's unbelievable. Not just the Paul McGann thing, but we. he Anyway, you can read all about it on the I, I, I really will. I mean, just reading yeah, the blurb is. you've got on, the, uh, on Unbound, it, it sounds fascinating. So. It is. It's, and it's fascinating times. You know, 1992 mm. in, in Ukraine, that's where we were. It was it was crazy times. So all so, of those things together should make it an interesting read. Yeah, so where can people find it? Where can they fund this right. book? So it's crowdfunding at the moment. So basically, if they want if they want to get in and help me, mm-hmm. they go to the website, which I hopefully you'll put a link to. I will. Uh, and you 
you chuck in 20 quid, you will get a hardback copy of the book, you will get your name written on the roll of honour inside the book, and when it's published, it will be sent to you. Excellent. So, so it's not charity. You can, you can, yes, you can give a charitable donation to me as well. Yeah. On top of, you can add more money. And there are other more expensive gifts. The most expensive gift is uh, inviting me to your place of business. I can do the lecture I talked about. There's also a signed copy of Sharp's Waterloo in Japanese. Wow, that's pretty cool. Burn Cornwall. That's a completely. So those are on the high end, and on the yeah, low yeah. end are ten pounds for an audiobook. 20 quid for a hardback copy of the book and there's a lot of stuff in between and that's that's that's, that's a bargain you know it's uh, it sounds fantastic and again it sounds there's so many stories just just this sort of in this sort of short period you know you've uh, you've given some stuff and there's so much more I'm sure you know I'm assuming that we you know you oh, will talk yeah. about so much more and so much more detail and just analysis and I, even I'm gobsmacked when I'm going back and writing about it what <laughs> And you, all the fun people are on Sharp, you know, that's all in there. Liz Hurley was a great laugh. Daniel Craig was as, as cool as you like, off, off set as he was on set. Yeah. All the stuff is in there. It's, it's going to be entertaining, but it's going to be just eye-opening. Excellent. It's a must-have for any Sharp fan. And uh, anyone who's interested in that, in that era, sort of period in TV history, uh, I will put a link in for it uh, on the notes. And uh, so please do check it out, listeners, because, uh, you know, and, and throw some coppers that way, because it sounds fantastic. Absolutely. And as always, you can, if you're on Facebook, you can always go to my Facebook group, Rifleman Harris fan site. There's also Sharps Rifles group. And there's my website, riflemanharris.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you very much. And again, thank you for your time, Jason. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. No, not at all. And, and uh, like I say, so check these things out and uh, check Jason out online. Uh, there's plenty of stories, it sounds like, coming our way. Exactly. Do what he just said. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it, mate. We'll Bye-bye. catch you again. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there it is, the interview with Jason Salki. Wonderful guy, really appreciate him giving his time, and uh, some great stories there from uh, on the sets and behind the scenes of the production of Sharp. So, just to remind you, uh, if you want to know more about uh, Jason, there's uh, his website, uh, that's riflemanharris.co.uk, go check that out. And of course, he's writing the book, From Crimea With Love, um, all about the... Uh, the time on on, uh, on sharp and that's on unbound so just google unbound there's also going to be some uh, links in the uh, notes for this episode so please go and find those out so ladies and gentlemen we've traveled through time we've talked about the napoleonic wars and uh, some swashbuckling heroes uh, it's been fantastic this is your history lesson for the month and uh, yeah we're going to go through some other things coming up in the future so Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this episode. Thanks for sticking it out. And uh, if you want to get in contact with us, if you've got anything you want to say, if you've got anything you want to contribute, if you want to suggest a topic for the episodes, please get in contact. Okay, uh, I'm on 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com uh, on Google. I'm on Twitter at 20thCenturyGeek. I'm on Facebook, also slash 20thCenturyGeek. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Instagram. Check out our Instagram feed. Some great photos going on there. And, uh, of course, we are on Patreon. You know, you guys get this for free, but it still costs us to keep these shows going out. Not a great deal, but 
any money we get coming in goes straight into the show and uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Anybody that can throw a few coppers our way. Uh, there's some great content. We're doing some movie reviews. Um, I think possibly one of the best shows I've ever done is on there. Uh, we've re- I reviewed Flash Gordon, the 1980 uh, cult classic with Julian Darius. And we got into some really great conversations there. Um, and I'm doing a, a sort of every month, I do a bit of a blog piece on uh, what we call it, 100 Years of Pop Culture. And it's about the lesser talked about or the lesser known uh, nuggets of pop culture history, still on history, um, from that era. So check it out. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we shall see you again next time. 